Hi there. Welcome to Mental Health Professionals Network podcast series. MHPN's aim is to promote and celebrate interdisciplinary, collaborative mental health care. Welcome to Transitions, a series of conversations between a GP and a mental health social worker where we share our perspectives on life's changes, the challenges, the gifts, and what we find fascinating and helpful in our personal and professional lives. I'm Monica Moore, a GP with a special interest in mental health, and with me is my friend Julianne White. And I'm a mental health social worker from rural New South Wales. We've got about six episodes mapped out, although of course we might wander a bit. Today we plan to add to some of our comments on life stages and change generally. Episode two will focus on employment and lifestyle change because we've had such eventful moments over the last 12 months. And session three will be the effects of bushfires. Episode three will be on the effect of bushfires on all of us Australians. Episode four on gender and identity. Now there's an interesting topic. Episode five on relationships, and we'll devote episode six to a review and hopefully will be inspired by your comments and questions. So please, as you listen to us, think about what you would like us to discuss, what would be useful and helpful to you. And we've both been talking about what we discussed last year and what we're going to talk about now. And Julianne, what are the things that have stayed with you from our uh, episodes that we did last year? Oh, Monica, look, it's just, when I think back on last year, 2020, oh God, it was so much that happened last year, wasn't it? But the thing that struck me was the relationship that you and I had developed. Um, from my perspective professionally, to be able to have a relationship with a general practitioner and a real person that's got passion and feeling about people uh, has just been delightful. And to talk about topics of real interest to me personally and professionally. You know, it's interesting because I was actually um, thinking about the content of the of the podcast and, and you've really focused on the process. And, and I was thinking, you know, because the Mental Health Professionals Network is really about process. It's really about clinicians from different disciplines and backgrounds and experience getting together and coming together to discuss things and support each other. And ultimately, the benefit is to the patient or the client, you know, whichever one you want to call it. And and you're right, like it's one of the things that we were discussing, you know, that even after the podcast is finished, wouldn't it be great to be able to pick our brains about various things and and say, you know, look, I've got this case and what do you think? And because it's just so helpful to, to see things from a fresh perspective. But, um, but, you know, when I was thinking about the... Uh, what we talked about last time and and how we were discussing things as if we knew, I mean, from my perspective anyway, as if we knew what we were talking about. Um, <laughs> there were times when I was thinking, God, you know, when people hear what I'm saying, are they going to be uh, commenting? No, but it's, it's like this. And so really, I'm so keen. I would really encourage people who are listening to send in their comments and their questions because we would love to add more voices to what we talk about. But I, I was thinking, you know, we, we spoke about the two ends of the spectrum, you know, the, the start of life and the end of life. Um, and as we 
go into 2021 with the idea that perhaps our lives are going to open up a bit more. I've had a lot more experience about the end of life with, uh, you know, not only myself, uh, you know, because I am of that age but and my in-laws, but also the start of life as I enjoy my granddaughter. And, uh, and you've had a lot of experience as well, you know, about the start of life and the end of life. And, and, and you were telling me about something that, um, that really stayed with me, which is, you know, when a life ends prematurely, what are the sorts of things that we find helpful, you know, when we're, we're talking to people about the process of psychotherapy or the process of going through a transition, a major transition? And, uh, and how for me, because I love metaphors, and for me, how sometimes I say, you know, we're like lobsters, you know, like we're comfortable in our shell, and then something happens, and like we have to grow, and so we have to split the shell, and vulnerable, and, and, and bare-skinned, we have to find a rock to hide under until we grow a new shell, and, and that's the sort of a way of looking at transitions, that it's a painful process and a vulnerable process, but one that ultimately will help us in the long run and I loved what you did with it. Yeah, thanks Monica. It was, it was just the other day we had that conversation and I was able, I thought a lot about that metaphor you used as well and like you, I really love the image that comes up with that and used it in the clinical setting um, just recently and it just resonated with this beautiful young girl and you could just see that she took on the meaning of the lobster and she had had a, an incredible bereavement and was really suffering and struggling with her grief and when I just gave her permission to hide under a rock. Then we use the rock metaphor that sometimes the rock's not big enough and we just need a bigger rock. So sometimes our distress is greater because the rock doesn't quite cover us enough. And then it takes, it's a painful process to grow the new shell. So we use the process of growing the new shell as a way to introduce the psychotherapy, which was just just a beautiful ease into so what's that like for you and what are we doing now and what her value it was just beautiful so I can't thank you enough and I have used that metaphor maybe I don't know half a dozen times this last week I love it it's going to be in my toolbox now, mm. the lobster metaphor. So I'm, I th- even think I might go and buy one and have it on my desk so that when I say lobster, <laughs> there's a little metaphor thing rolling around and, and people can see it and they can have a, a, a prompt for it. So thanks for that. That's really great. But I was going to say, you've taken it to the next level by teaching people about rocks and, and what are your rocks and how do you increase your rock size and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, which I think is that lovely systemic so social work perspective. And it was, it was really good because she talked about other people she could bring into her rock and at times when she didn't want anyone under that. Look, and then another older person found other examples as to when she had found on her life's transitions that she had needed not just rocks but a cave as well. And all of a sudden we've got stories and people are just engaging in the metaphor. So, and look... Monica, this is what's beautiful about this opportunity is this sharing of um, just these tools that we can use and they're just, as you said, they're conversations and they're ideas and we go, yes, that can resonate. 
and I just think it's just been marvellous. Look, I've learned heaps from you, though. Every now and then you'll say something really inspiring and I write it down and think, God, I must look that up. And you've read stuff that I've not read and I just love the connection because obviously our backgrounds are a bit different and um, and I, I just think it's fantastic. I've got lots of things, you know, Monica, look up tomorrow. And um, so I can't thank you enough for the learning that I've done, especially, you know, some of the topics we covered last year. Uh, it was really good. Some of that early stage stuff about re- welcoming a child into the home and you had some wonderful references, which I found were fabulous. Mm, mm. And I and that the way you framed grief and how it there's both you know sort of an internal process of just you know to the outsider looks like falling apart, and the external process of you know being instrumental and just doing what needs to be done, and how everybody does bits of it at different times according to the way they have to do it. And there is no right or wrong, and it just normalises the grief process. And it helps people not judge other people because they're doing their grief differently and in a different way and a different pace. So that's something I use almost every day because we don't just grieve when there's a a loss, you know, a death. We grieve from all sorts of things, Um, you know, like the the grief of the gradual grief of losing, you know, things as we get older, you know, the realisation that, you know, what does it take for us to realise that we're getting old? Um, you know, like when we're just exhausted doing something. Lal, I told you about my whippersnipper incident <laughs> yeah. this week, didn't I? You know, and I thought, ah, too old for that one now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to get the lawnmower man in now for that one. And that was a bit of like, oh, my independence is gone now. I am getting older. The old body can't do it. So that's yeah, tricky. Yeah, mm, yeah. But look, I agree with you on the grief and loss stuff. And I think that fits beautifully into transitions. Because even if there's a change in life of anything, you know, just, um, you know, just even becoming another decade older or uh, something that's really significantly happening or you're moving even just uh, professional change where there's a a change where there's a perception of loss or even a a positive change. There is still losses associated like those secondary losses. And I see our job, Monica, very much as being the holders of that space for people. You know, and I often sort of sit with people with my hands out like a crucible, um, being able to say, look, let's just hold this space. Let's just stop a while and consider this change, this transitional moment. What is it like? What are we gaining, but what are we losing? What are the opportunities, but what are the losses? And let's sit with that rather, rather than just do the whole, oh, you'll be right, just get over it. Let's just sit under our rock. Let's find a cave, whatever the metaphor the person needs. And I think that's a beautiful part of therapy and I think that's perhaps uh, what I just love about my work is that I can stop with people a while and ponder some of those things and offer them words or phrases which can be um, perhaps giving them insight. So that's why I think the grief and loss using that is really appropriate through and we'll use that probably all the way through these episodes, I think, you know, just uh, what does that look like and, you know, how do we help people with the language of loss or transition and change? You're listening to Transitions, a conversation between me, a GP, Monica Moore, and a mental health social worker. And that's me, Julianne White. One of the things that, you know, we often hear GPs and as a GP I truly experienced is that pressure of not having time to have that space and time to listen to people. But then I read 
started that brilliant book, you know, the 15-minute hour, um, where they detailed how it's not really how much time you give someone, but the quality of the time, the space that you create for someone by being very specific in your comments. Um, and that the fact that GPs have the brilliant capacity to see people for review on a regular basis, because that's what we do in relationship. And that that in itself can be a wonderful holding space, that we don't actually have to do therapy to help people to just process their own grief or their own transition, to support them through that, you know, messy middle, as some people call it, you know, because you have the whatever it is that's precipitated the change, you know, the catalyst, and then you've got that awful sort of messy, turbulent washing machine, you know, cycle middle, and then you come out the other side with, um, you know, varying degrees of, of gains and losses and and adjustments. And so how do we support people? And that, you know, frequent small doses can often be just as good as being able to sit for the hour like um, mental health clinicians can. I think that's such a valuable thing to know. Mm. Look, and I agree. I think it's a beautiful synergy that happens between practitioners. Um, and I think the appreciating and respect for each other's roles in here is absolutely crucial. And that communication about, you know, what what did we do in our hour? What did you do in that 15, 20 minutes? And having that dialogue really mm. um, open and respectful is just so critical. You know, we really are colleagues um, with the best, hopefully with the best interests of the client or the patient in mind, which I think is an important part of, you know, the conversation you and I are having. Because um, I know I've learned so much from mm. you about what's important to what, how to get those messages across to doctors and specialists quickly, succinctly, but to actually capture the essence of what we might have done in, you know, more longer sessions. And I think that's been a great thing that I've gained too. And I hopefully other people listening to this has gained as well, that this is an important relationship that we have to develop as much as it's developed between, it's like a triad, I think they call it, don't you, with the patient and the clinicians, that it's respectful and open. And we're all equal in that process. What do you mean a triad? Yeah, the patient, the doctor and the clinician, that's all. No, but there's more than one clinician come off it. As a GP, you've got the cardiologist and then you've got the... True, true. I forgot about all the other doctors. You know, there's all these other specialists and then there's the physiotherapist and then there's the, you know, the natural therapist and oh, then true. there's, the, like, you know, the hairdresser. The hairdresser has to feature in there as well. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, do you know what's really funny? It's really lovely. We've just employed a girl who's got a background in hairdressing and beauty therapy or skin therapy and she's working working in our NDIS program with people and I can't believe the engagement that she has with people that I just can't get. Like they talk, even the men are saying, hey, by the way, can you help me with this? And yeah, she's just amazing. I'd never thought of that as a, um, well, it is. They do a wonderful therapy as they're doing their, you know, accidental counselling in their work, but it's beautiful to see her work with people. It's just delightful. And people engaging with that. How lovely. Yep. Do not do not underestimate how no. much therapy hairdressers do and how exhausted they get from listening oh, to people's stories. Totally. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Help will always be given to those who ask for it, you know, and it will come from very unusual places. Mm. Um, yeah, and, absolutely. And, uh, you know, all you have to do is ask. But uh, I was thinking also about, um, you know, the what happens as we 
grow and transition through our lives, you know, and how when we're, when we're born, you know, I'm watching my granddaughter develop and how things are fairly simple. She either likes something or she doesn't like something. Um, you know, she's, when she's eating, she's almost like a cockatoo, you know, like cockatoos, they'll, you know, look at something and then they'll just drop it without even looking at it. You know, that's her attitude to broccoli at the moment. Um, you know, as she picks through what she wants to eat and that as we get older, we become a lot more discerning and, and you know, complex in the way that uh, that we see the world and also how we interact with it. And and I was thinking about, you know, what are the, how do we know that we are going through a change? Sometimes we we know that things aren't right, but we don't realise that it's a change. Like, sorry, we don't realise it's a transition and that it's a messy middle and that we, we like, we, we sort of almost give up hope halfway and don't think we can get to the other side. How do you help people through that process? Like, how do you give them hope? Yeah, look, I often say to people that it's when you notice that things feel not right and how do we tune into the it's not right yet there's that loss of the you know the view of the horizon that things are foggy or you know using the metaphors a lot you know they'll come in say look I'm just not sleeping I'm not eating people often come in with other related symptoms you know that I've got this problem I'm angry with everybody I'm really struggling I haven't got answers anymore and we just focus in on, so tell me what that's like. What are you seeing and feeling inside at the moment? You know, what do you think has changed? What's feeling uncomfortable? And what is the uncomfortableness like? And a phrase I use a lot is, how hard is it to lean into this uncomfortableness and just have a look at some of the things and let's, let's, let's map them. What's not comfortable right now that used to be comfortable? And what were you doing previously when things were feeling good that are not feeling right now? And we try to find, you know, where's that missing link or where's thing that's, what's gone off the radar? What's shifted? And try to help people just sit with uncomfortableness rather than try and fight it and say, oh, just get on with it or just be flippant about it. Oh, I'll be fine. You'll be okay. But just sometimes sit with it. And I often, people might say, look, I've got anxiety or I think it's depression. And I'll really nearly almost on a daily occurrence say to people, look, I'm hearing a sense of loss. And loss is a grief reaction. It might look like depression, look like anxiety, but let's talk about grief. Let's talk about the losses and what's that like for you. It's not just death that's a loss, but lots of other secondary losses. And people, I find, um, can sit with that and say, yeah, it does feel like this. I noticed that before. Or I might pick up on something in their adolescence or early adult time and say, do you remember a time when perhaps when, you know, something else might have happened that you felt like this uh, and help them through what helped them then, what didn't help? Yeah. And isn't that, is that, is that what they say in narrative therapy, like thickening the narrative? Is that, sorry, I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn here, but, you know, sort of recognising that. No, right on the track. Yeah. It's, you know, that you're recognising that you've been through difficult periods before and therefore this is just another difficult period. And, and I was thinking there's something that I've just recently discovered um, because I was talking to my daughter about how exhausted I was after my first day back at work after leave. And she's full of wisdom. And, uh, and she said, well, mum, you know, you've got to count your spoons. Yeah. Which sort of spoons? Teaspoons? <laughs> Which sort of spoons? Have you heard about spoons theory? No, I've never heard spoons theory before. No, <laughs> so tell me your spoons oh, theory. Oh, <laughs> Julian, this is a good one. Okay, so this woman called Christine Miserandino. Okay, yeah, 
And so in 2003, she wrote an essay, okay, called Spoon Siri. And she's someone who has systemic lupus erythematosus. And Mm -hmm. this is, of course, in the illness which is chronic. It's awful. And she was having lunch with a friend and was laying out all her medications. And the friend said, really, what is it like to have lupus? How do you cope? And she says, well, I'll tell you. So she got the waiter to give her a whole lot of spoons and said, so I can start, you know, I have to check how much energy I have every morning. And I'm just going to use these spoons to represent a unit of energy. And so say I wake up and I've got five units of energy, five spoons. Hmm. And I know that I'm coming to lunch with you. So one spoon is for lunch with you. And then I've got a spoon for the taxi here and a spoon for the taxi back. And then I've got a spoon for the uh, daily walk I have to do. And then, uh uh-oh, I also have a physiotherapist appointment, a specialist appointment, and, you know, a conversation with my mother. I don't have enough spoons for that. So I have to cut out some of my allocations of spoons because I don't have enough spoons to cover. And so that might be a day when I ring you and say, I can't do lunch today. And that's why. That's because I've run really out of spoons. Insightful. And then I've got to look at things that I mm. give that give me spoons. Okay. And I, I really thought, like that. And that when people mm. are in the messy middle, that, you know, at the moment you've got to count your spoons. Yeah. And especially through this pandemic and lockdown and the fear and all the deaths and losses and the catastrophe that's happening overseas and um, all of that kind of stuff, you know, and we'll be talking a bit more about, you know, jobs and. Mm. health issues and um, and, and all, all of that, um, it's that recognition that as humans, there's only so much we can do in a day. Mm. And some days you'll wake up and you've slept really poorly or, you know, you had something really stressful, it was really hot and you don't have air conditioning, whatever it is, and you just don't have enough spoons. Even if you don't have a severe chronic illness, you still got to count your spoons. That is so... that was really helpful. Yeah, another metaphor from Monica. That's right. (laughs) I really like (laughs) that. from Rachel, my daughter. Give the credit where it's due. Mm. But that's really good to think about too when you're helping people monitor. um, Energy is such an important thing with people with chronic health issues or coping with severe change and and even looking at our little people. Like I've got a couple of grandchildren who've just started school and, you know, God, I love Messenger. I'm getting all these beautiful photos on a daily basis of, you know, little people. And then I ring my daughters and my sons at night and say, oh, how did they go? And they, oh God, they're in bed already at five o'clock. And and you can see there, but I'm going to pass that on to the children tonight to say, look, maybe think about our little people people too as they start school and preschool, that they've only got so many allocated spoons and they've actually used up nearly all of them probably just keeping, not doing wheeze and poos in their pants at school today. That's just enough to get, you know, to, you know, sort of deplete. Actually, just, can I tell you a funny one? That's not really funny, just as a diversion. My little granddaughter started kindy last week and the teacher said, now your job today as preschoolers, uh, first graders in foundation is not to wee or poo your pants all day. So that's your job. So this little granddaughter came home and said to her mother, can I just sit on the toilet for an hour? I haven't done wheeze and poos all day. (laughs) So, but I didn't do it in my pants. But I didn't go all day either. I've been so extra good. And it was just so literal. And the energy she put into that concentration all day, she had a bath and was asleep in the bath in about 10 minutes, the dear little dot. But that's part of transitions too, isn't it? Is to, how do we then manage that little person as they go through the biggest, one of the biggest next changes of their life, isn't it? Just that, ah, oh, this big school, mm. you know, what is it like? 
And then how is we as parents mm. adjust too? You know, now all my children are at school. Well, you know, that's a big transition. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Mm. But mm. thank you for that metaphor. I like the spoons and I like the lobster. That's good. Yes. <laughs> mm. Really good. But I'm glad my dual processing model of grief and loss is resonating with you because, and I don't know whether I've sent you, and maybe this is something we can make available to people listening, is a beautiful paper by Dr. Christopher Hall on um, Beyond Kubler-Ross. And it's so respectful of all the previous authors and um, theorists who have conceptualised grief and loss, um, which are probably more from a death and dying or significant um, losses like those, to actually reconceptualise loss as any, um, the feelings that we have as we cope Cope with change where there's a perception of loss. So it's a really beautiful paper and provides a, an understanding of where we're moving, how we integrate and adapt these, all the various models into some really good therapeutic tools. So just remind me to pass that on to you, Monica, because it's really good. Mm. Mm. And it's a lovely one. I often give it to clients who talk about stages and phases of their grief or change. And I'll often just, just pull them up a little bit and say, look, we don't actually identify. We have emotions, but we don't go, this is anger, this is denial, this is bargaining. But we have a range of emotions and it is about how we cope and what are our triggers. And that's what I think is so user-friendly of this model because it can be used across not just death and dying, but for all change. Um, and I think it's very useful. So we must make that available for people if they haven't got it. So you've been listening to Transitions, a conversation between a GP and a mental health social worker where we share our perspective on life's changes and transitions. Next time, we're going to be discussing loss of employment, lifestyle, really loss of our future, something we all have been too aware of as a result of the pandemic. And we learn so much from each other. If you've got any comments, any topics you'd like to discuss, we'd love to hear from you because it's really great to talk to someone and hear from someone from a related health discipline and gain different perspectives. And all you have to do is click on the link in the show notes and we'll find out about it. It's goodbye from me, Monica Moore, a GP. And Julianne White, a mental health social worker in beautiful, sunny, rural New South Wales. Thanks, Monica, and thanks, team. And remember, click on that link. Send us your comments and questions. We really want to hear from you. Visit mhpn.org.au to find out more about our online professional program, including podcasts, webinars, as well as our face-to-face interdisciplinary mental health networks across Australia. 